1: And welcome to the Chronicles of Nanny, a nanny resource podcast made for nannies by me, a nanny. This is your host, Martha Tyler, and this week we are going to be talking about adventurous eating. And to do that, I have brought on, actually back on, Angelina Pizzi. Hello,
0: Angelina. Well, hello, Miss Martha. Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm so excited to have you on again. Um, Angelina was on an episode, uh, like, how many years ago now? Like I think it was three, three years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's wow. about right. So go look up her other episode. Actually, I'll just link it down in the show notes so you can listen Wonderful. to her other episode too. Um but today we're going to be talking about adventurous eating and um, all the, the things that go under that umbrella, which is a lot. And I'm so excited. Um, before we get started talking about that, I would love to hear your journey with both childcare and feeding our littlest members.
0: Wonderful. Well, um, I kind of fell into nannying. Um, Over a decade ago, I, like many, many women, just assumed at one point in my life I would eventually be a mother. In fact, it was the job that I always knew that I would be best at. So when I was young, people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I would always respond with something like scientist or teacher, but I knew I just understood that somewhere out in the arc of my future, there was a family of my very own just waiting to be mine. Mm. And I actually went to school to be a scientist. I went to school to be an engineer. And since that's just kind of problem solving with numbers, I ended up working in high stakes finance for about 12 years before it finally happened. I found out that I cannot have children of my own. So, you know, that was a a very devastating thing to find out. And Mm -hmm. I really knew that I wanted to affect children's lives in some way still, you know, knowing that I couldn't be a mother. So I actually left my job and went back to school to be a teacher, uh, back to college for another few years to learn how to be an educator and learn about how children learn. And I worked in the Chicago public school systems for one year before funding problems caused me to lose my job as a teacher back to school for all of that time and lost my job as a teacher. So I was stuck again in this um, devastated place of wondering You know, how I would fulfill my life's purpose of now not having my own children, but affecting other people's and guiding other people's children in this very specific, educating way. And a kind of serendipitous thing happened at that same time where a neighbor of mine whose children I loved on and, you know, babysat in my spare time, they had their third child and lost their nanny. And they knew that I had just spent all of this time becoming an educator. So they'd asked me, hey, would you like to be our nanny? And, you know, and in, in, none, in none of my thinking about how I could affect the lives of children had I ever considered being a nanny. You know, I was working in this very well-paying job in finance and, you know, went to school to be an engineer. And I just, I just never thought of becoming a nanny and it was it was such a life changing experience for me you know i really wanted to flex my mommy muscles and mm-hmm. so i took i took this nanny job which which really just set in motion you know this path of of where i am today of you know helping moms and helping nannies learn how to feed children in this very specific way that leads to adventurous eating, because the three kids that I worked with, um, you know, I found myself suddenly responsible for an infant, a toddler, and a child. And the child was an incredibly picky eater. So she was a five-year-old when I started working with her. And she had maybe, you know, I could count on two hands the number of foods that she was very comfortable with. And the toddler, you know, thankfully she was still young enough where she was eating a lot of things. You know, the direction from her parents was that she would eat, you know, she would eat almost anything, but she was getting pickier by the day. Mm. And, you know, that's just if you're nannies who are out there listening right now who are feeding toddlers, who raised up children, you know, we understand this very particular time of pre-toddlerhood where children get, you know, very skeptical of food. Um, But in this experience of making food for her brother, so the, the brother, the infant, when he started eating food, I was responsible for making it. And I saw the difference between his sisters and I really wanted better for him You know, the the only direction that I got from his parents was that I would be making his food and that was it, right? That's, that's pretty much what they said. (laughs) You need to make his food. Um, And, you know, I just realized that I had no idea how to feed any of them. But, you know, coming to this, this job from this mindset of really wanting to affect children's lives in a positive way, I really took it under my, um, you know, I, I took it into my my mindset that I was going to do this very well. And thankfully still had access to my college library, where I just went and learned as much as I could about what children need from food, what babies need from food. Um, and in my own experiences with uh, health and fitness. So for, for myself, I was a uh, kind of a, a, a fit, uh, you know, fitness was kind of one of my hobbies it was, you know, something that I identified with pretty early. So I knew how to feed myself. But I didn't make the connection with how I was feeding myself with how to feed children until I learned about the kinds of things that they need from food. And, you know, I, I fed the infant in a very specific way. And, you know, every nanny who's out here today, who is listening to this right now, who is responsible for feeding a two-year-old or, you know, an almost two-year-old, not just feeding them, but caring for them, you know, that you cannot let them leave your sight because, right. you know, an almost two-year-old, will get themselves into trouble. Yes. You know, they will find the thing that they shouldn't be doing. And they'll, you know, my, my biggest fear is always, I don't want her to get hurt. I don't want them to get hurt. So in making this food for her younger brother, you know, the older one, the five-year-old, she would go to school and I would have the toddler and the baby with me and the toddler would help me cook. Hmm. And so through this experience of cooking for her younger brother and really trying to help him become more comfortable with a wide variety of food, which was very unlike his sister, who's his older sister, who genuinely struggled at mealtimes. She suffered at mealtimes when there was something on the table that she was not comfortable with. Like it, her visceral, visceral reaction to food that she was not comfortable with, was so surprising for me to see. Mm. And I really wanted him to have a different experience with that. So learning about the types of food that I could be giving him and experimenting with cooking different types of food for him, but doing that with the toddler had a double effect where you know, it was surprising to me that everything we made for the infant, he accepted. You know, because we we exposed him to a wide variety of foods, including spices, including foods that you just wouldn't think to give to an infant. Um, but because his his toddler sister made those things with me, she was exposed to those foods, and she was a part of the process. She went from regularly, uh, regularly saying no to foods that I would cook and offer to saying yes almost every time to trying something that she helped make.
1: Yeah, it makes such a big difference.
0: Huge difference, right, to include her in that process. And I know for every person listening to this right now who thinks, oh, my gosh, Angelina, you cannot be asking me to bring a toddler into the kitchen because we all know how much harder that is, right? Right. You know, it's just, it's very hard to do that. But if if you're in the position of trying to get a toddler to try things that If you're just starting to work with the toddler and you aren't implementing this feeding style from the beginning, which is, you know, the, the biggest part of my coaching now is helping caregivers, moms and caregivers understand that doing this early, this introduction of feeding in this very specific way early is the best you know, preloading that you can do on the the rest of the ease of parenting and of caregiving. Um, Doing these things early is so important, but if you're just starting to work with a toddler who might not be so receptive to eating whatever that might be, whether it be vegetables or if they're stuck in a bit of a rut, getting them into the kitchen with you is a great way to really help them to be more comfortable with the food that you want to serve them. Yes. But but ultimately you know the the infant not surprisingly now like i know that this is how infants work now but he developed a very adventurous eating palate the toddler grew to adopt an adventurous eating palate and it took nearly a year but the 5 year old who is then closer to 7 you know she's mm-hmm. at that point she was you know older but it took a long time where she finally reached out and and started eating things that were not in her repertoire of safe foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so no matter where you are today, feeding, just know that you can help the children in your care adopt a different style of eating than they're than they're currently. You know, if you're concerned about the way that they're eating, there is definitely a way to help them, um, but it might. You know, some of these ways to help might be outside of the realm of what you understand in feeding because they were for me.
1: Yes, for sure. And then you have now started your own business.
0: Correct. Yes. I have um, uh, three years ago, I started helping at the suggestion of a nanny family that I was working with. You know, I have this great story about, uh, you know, this this nanny family that I was working with, um, very, you know, strong mompreneur that I was working with. You know, she called me and she said, uh, Angelina, I just, I, you know, I, we just left the restaurant and I had to call you and tell you what happened. And I was very, you know, I could hear in, in her voice on the phone and, you know, I was excited to hear what she had to tell me. And she said that she brought her twins who were then nearly two Mm -hmm. to an Ethiopian restaurant and she was there with them. And, you know, she noticed that the wait staff, the people who work there were kind of giving her funny looks. And she, you know, she kept like kind of looking at the table and seeing like, she just about when she's ready to ask, like, did did we do something wrong? Like what's, what's happening? the owner came out from his corner booth and walked over to their table. And, you know, she, she described the scene as, you know, the, the staff was kind of peeking out behind him as he's like this imposing man is standing in front of her table. And he said, you know, who are these, who are these children who come to my restaurant and eat my food and dip in my sauces? Mm-hmm. And then he paused and he said, families like yours don't, Usually with children so small. Wow. And so she was, he went on to just commend her for the weights that her children were eating and their behavior at the table. And when she finished her conversation with me, she said, You have to help other moms feel this way. Yeah. And that was, it was so eye opening to think that, you know, that this was something that people need and they do, you know, they, they really do. And it's been, you know, it's been a wonderful thing to go from having a life's purpose of wanting to have my own children to wanting to guide and affect in a positive way, other people's to helping more families, whether that be with moms or with nannies to affect this change for children on a greater scale.
1: Yes, and it's so important and you are right. Like you know, there's a lot of skills that I think nannies have that we are like, "Well, yeah, that's just how you do it." And then um and we don't exactly. realize that parents um who have only really, you know, interacted with their own children in that deep meaningful way that they don't have the same knowledge base that we do having worked with many different families and getting to see many different styles of feeding or discipline or whatever it is, but we're, today we're talking about feeding. So, um,
0: and like. Well, it's funny that you say that because, you know, boundaries at the table Mm -hmm. are for many parents, you know, it is the beginning of a healthy relationship and boundary setting away from the table
1: yes that's a really good point
0: point. and it's a it, you know it's a huge part of what i teach is not just what to feed so i focus on a couple of different things i focus on you know what we need to feed children right the nutrition that we don't hear that food before one is just for fun and it's just not true
1: yeah it is not more true. about that
0: about because
1: so, i i've heard that as well of like food before one is just for
0: fun Right. It's just, it's not true. Like an infant's brain literally doubles in size from their birth to one year Mm. and serving iron rich foods every day so that they get the oxygen to their rapidly growing brain is so important, right? Just the simple nutrients that they need. Like you will never see again. You will never be able to see from week to week your child growing right? Like literally from one week to the next week, you you can see a size change in an infant, right? Like you can just see this change happening. And yes, we say food before one is just for fun because they really want to stress the importance of breast milk and formula,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right? The nutrients that an infant gets from those milks are so important and they really want to stress to not stop serving breast milk or formula we really need that to happen until at least one however infants cannot get everything they need breast milk or formula after about six months and Mm. for some children who were born prematurely or underweight they need those nutrients a little bit earlier so you know it's it the whole you know food before one just it's a very nice rhyme We all (laughs) love rhymes. We all remember them, but it is just not true and not just nutrient wise, but you know, the, the palate that your child is developing, there is a, um, there is a time, a very short window of time in an infant's life between about four and seven months called the flavor window where -hmm. they are most receptive to new flavors. And the flavors that we give infants during this short period of time. Now, these are just tastes, right? We're not giving a four-month-old spoonfuls of food. don't need that. However, they do need to taste some foods, right? If they can taste some bitter veggies during this time, if they can taste some iron-rich foods, these flavors that they learn to accept early during this time, they end up accepting long-term. So even through pre-toddler, where they go through this typical skepticism, this period of skepticism around food, if they accept these flavors in this early stage, they are more likely to hold on to that acceptance long-term, like it, like for years. Right. Yeah. So food before one is so much more than fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It is so much fun, but it's more than it that. It is. Yes.
1: And you mentioned iron-rich foods. So I'm curious, just some examples of age-appropriate iron-rich foods.
0: So I just did a bunch of videos for my program. And one of the most, it's like, it's it's, many people, you either love it or hate it, depending on where you come from culturally, I think. Mm -hmm. But liver is one of the best iron-rich foods that you can give to a baby. Wow, And you you make it. And there are many people who advocate for baby led weaning. And I am not against baby led weaning, but I think that there is a, there is some, uh, there's definitely some benefit to offering some mashed foods early, right? So if you're, if you're offering foods before six months, um, which is, acceptable if your baby has the signs for food readiness mm-hmm. but offering them things like a liver pate right mm-hmm. offering things like pureed meats i know that sounds it sounds gross but it's not it's like for what your baby's getting from that it is actually highly beneficial and there are different sources of iron that your body can use readily and so this is why i bring up meats first is that even if you're vegetarian you can still get the iron that you need however the plant based irons that we get you know there are things like oats that have iron broccoli that has iron there are many sources of iron that are that live in the plant kingdom right. however the type of iron that exists in plant based sources is not as readily available to the body your body can't absorb them as easily but if you serve something like broccoli that has a lot of iron in it for a plant, it also has vitamin C, which helps your body absorb iron. So there are ways around serving meats if you're either against meat or you're not comfortable serving meat to an infant. Um, there are ways to help your baby get iron, and I say your baby because you know nannies. You all, yes. view, we all view these as our kids, right? Their moms don't worry. We don't mean that literally, but we care for your children as if they are our own. So we say our kids, we mean that in the best possible way. But yes, having these iron rich foods every day for early eaters is just critically important. And there are ways to do it that that don't require meat, but meats are some, even if you plan on having a vegetarian child, Mm -hmm. helping your infant get what they need by serving some meats early is still a good idea just because it's so readily available. Their body can use it so quickly and so well. And again, their brains are growing faster now than they ever will again. So help them with that process by helping them have iron-rich foods.
1: Yes, I... Love that information. Never would have thought of that. So I'm very right? glad I've been talking to you. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, that is a really good point about, um, you know, if you are planning on having a vegetarian child, but that, you know, during their first year of life, um, providing the nutrients that they need and then going from there. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Um, I also would love to talk about, you know, you talked about discipline and boundaries at the table. I would also love to talk about, you know, just the the relationship building with food that starts in infancy at yes. you know at the table.
0: It starts at the breast, or it starts at the nipple, right? I either I have no judgment about how. Moms choose to feed, right? right? If the if breastfeeding is what you choose, wonderful. If that if that's not something that you either choose or can do, you know, fed is best, right? We want to feed right. our infants in ways that are healthy. Um, but this relationship, the feeding relationship that you build with your child, again, nannies included, in this includes milk feedings because helping your children. So I like to say that your Uh, Your child's relationship with food, and I'm including milks in this, is their first consensual relationship, right? Because we offer food and they take it or not. Mm -hmm. So the relationship, the way that we empower children through feedings is by allowing them to become intuitive eaters, which is where the baby-led weaning movement really stems from or one of the main benefits that they Um, like to talk about with baby lead weaning is that by allowing children to self-feed, we're allowing them to become intuitive because they decide when to stop. And you can do this, you can do this with a spoon where if your baby, your infant, your newborn turns away from a nipple, even if you're engorged, if you're breastfeeding, you don't continue to feed them, right? Like we need to allow infants to turn away from a nipple and tell us that they're done. And this continues with food where, you know, I've seen many, many feedings where, you know, baby looks the other way and we follow their face with the spoon, right? Mm-hmm. If, if they look away from you, maybe they're done. Maybe they're overwhelmed in the moment. Maybe they're enjoying the food. Maybe they're processing the food. But if you let them come back to you, if you let them turn back to you, if they're still hungry, they will. They will do that. But we have to allow that to happen because when you get to pre-toddlerhood, like these early, um, this early friction with feeding, with not listening to a baby's cues, without listening to a toddler's cues, If you do that to a 14-month-old whose main desire is independence, you know, your 14-month-old would rather not eat than not be their own person. Right. Right. Right? So I have seen tension between feeders and infants happen so early because we're just not paying attention to our infant's and our toddlers cues about feeding right we there's a there's a wonderful feeding specialist called Ellen Satter mm-hmm. and she has created the division of responsibility in feeding and this is the basis of the feeding relationship where caregivers feeders have jobs at the table but eaters no matter how young they are and this starts again at the nipple they have a job at the at the at the bottle at the table also. And that is, you know, our job as feeders is to provide the, what to eat. Our job is to provide uh, where we're eating that. And our job is to provide when those meals happen. Now this is past, you know, feeding on demand, which after about six months, we're no longer feeding on demand and hopefully feeding more on a schedule, Mm -hmm. um, which helps children regulate their, uh, their hunger, it helps them to regulate their sleep patterns. If we're feeding on a schedule, you know, but early, early newborns, we're definitely letting them tell us exactly when they need to eat. Right. But hopefully by about six months, they're starting to fall into a schedule, but we provide those things and your infant has a job too. They tell us what they eat or if they eat at all. Mm -hmm. So they say how much they're going to eat and also say if they're going to eat. If your infant decides at a feeding that they're not hungry, we never force that. Right. And that's how we empower them. You know, if you think about your child's life, nannies, moms, parents, your children have no power in the world, right? right. None. None. You decide when, mostly when they get out of their crib you decide when they get changed hopefully that's on a schedule right hopefully we're paying attention to that too but they don't decide much in life but they can decide this and they should decide this which is how we empower them in the feeding relationship
1: yeah yeah that's so true and and I I have seen um toddlers who do not have, are not feeling like they are being seen and heard in other ways, take it out at the table. Because Absolutely. you know, when when power struggles happen, <laughs> they happen with what goes into their bodies, what comes out of their bodies, and what goes on their bodies. So like yes. clothing, potty, and meal times are really where those power struggles ramp up. And yeah. have, I mean, all of those we have to do every day. <laughs> so, like, right. why not, you know, work on this empowerment and consent and all of that from infancy, so that um, hopefully, you know, you're still going to have power struggles; they're impossible to avoid. But Correct. hopefully, um, you have the the foundations laid that you can navigate them in a way that is healthy for you and healthy for the child.
0: Hello, nannies. This is Rory from Nannyist. Nannyist is the free web app for nannies. It's an honor for us to support this podcast and to support nannies around the world as they deliver essential care. See how Nannyist can support you in your career by visiting nannyist.com. That's N-A-N-N-I-E-S-T tcom Thanks. And back to you, Martha. Yeah, the, the five words, I think the five most powerful words you have in your arsenal as your child gets older are you don't have to eat mm-hmm. because that thing of, well, fine, I'm going to choose not to eat. Like that should, food should never be a power struggle, right. right? I always tell parents and nannies, you know, you will never have a better opportunity to parent a child a nanny's parent also, Mm -hmm. you will never have a better opportunity to parent your child than every time that you feed them. Mm -hmm. Because we have to feed our kids. And we have the opportunity to provide them with offering the food that, you know, at the end of the day, no matter how little you think you know about food, you know more about food than your child does. You know more about it than the children in your care you choose the food they choose to eat right so in this feeding relationship we're empowering them to make that decision but we're also setting boundaries by saying this is what we're having you don't have to eat it but i'm not making anything else because how many short order cooks do we know who (sighs) want to pull their hair out at the end of the day yep yeah right (laughs) It's
1: a lot, and so I I am curious about for adventurous eating, for encouraging specifically kids to try new foods and things like that. What is your um, advice on on offering new foods and encouraging that adventurous style?
0: Yeah. So again, this pre loading, you know, the work that we do early, whether it is boundary setting or you know adapting an adventurous style this so much of it happens early. If you can start early, please start early because the longer you wait, the harder it gets. And you know, the human palate is malleable. That's why someone who has just been unhealthy for most of their lives can decide at 30 to make a change. And they can, they actually can do that, right? Like this thing can happen. But if you, like I was asked Parents and caregivers to think about the big vision that they have for their children, the children in their care. And that is, you know, maybe not today when you're getting lost in the minutiae of how hard, you know, infancy is or how hard it is to transition to work or how hard it is to work with a toddler and then, and then, and then, but like, where do you want them in a year? Where do you want them in three years, at five years old? And forward think to when they're 20 and coming back home and having a meal with you, how do you see them eating, right? Like what kinds of things do you want for them at those points? Start now. Because if you start with infancy, you start with their first bites and you don't get stuck in the rut of offering just bananas, just apples, just sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. If you expand that palate early and get into the healthy habit of cooking a wide variety of things. Now, I very specifically focus on how to do this in very simple ways. So Mm -hmm. I know feeding and cooking is like one of the biggest struggles in a household, but adopting these healthy, simple strategies early will help set you up for success for your family's health. And whether you're a parent or whether you're a caregiver you know really being able to offer this healthy um adventurous palate building strategy of continuing to offer you you can offer a three-year-old like i offered this five-year-old who was extremely picky now she did not have there are some you know sensory processing issues that may cause a child to be very selective about food this child did not have those sensory issues she just did not have um great feeding experiences early Mm -hmm. so she and people around her were very controlling with getting her to eat things Mm -hmm. so she felt safe eating these 10 things and she did not feel safe trying anything new because it was kind of forced on her to try to do that where the grownups around her were trying to step over their jobs of feeding and into her job of eating. But even with her, you know, given the freedom to eventually learn to trust me that I wasn't going to force her to take one bite. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to force her to try anything that she didn't want. You know That I was going to offer things at mealtimes every day. And there'd always be something on there that I knew she would eat. Right but I wasn't going to make anything else. This is what we were having for meals, but I also was never gonna force her. You know, it took her nearly a year to trust me to not force her to eat things before she decided to branch out of her comfort zone. So it is possible no matter where you are today, it is possible. The keys are to continue offering foods that are outside of that comfort zone. Right? So if you do it early, that is the best way that you can set yourself up for this. And one of the best ways that I get parents and caregivers to really consider how they feed is to say that you know, the children that you feed will ultimately eat the way that you do mm-hmm. and sit with that for a second. Because if that makes you uncomfortable, you know where to start.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. And I also think, and this gets a little off topic, but I also think in this, this idea that we have of like being so busy all the time, um, that that's like seen, that's lauded as like this great thing of being so busy. Like I hear lots of people be like, oh my gosh, you know, I was so busy. I forgot to eat. And just right. thinking about that with children in mind of like these little eyes are watching you. Yes. And if that is your current relationship with food, um, that that will be passed down, whether you're the nanny or the
0: parent. Yes. So um, one of the exercises that I take yeah. my clients through is, you know, kind of walking backwards through time to try to pinpoint where your own where our own ideas about how we feed ourselves come from. Mm. And it often means going to our family mealtimes and our family tables and thinking about specific instances where we heard the grown-ups around us talk about how they shouldn't eat this, can't eat this, how we shouldn't eat this, eat too much of this. Mm-hmm. You know the things that we heard in childhood ended up being the way that we feed ourselves, and you know it 's a really healthy it's a, you know at times it can be very uncomfortable exercise because it's it comes back to why we feed ourselves the way that we do, which is right. not always right we 're not always loving ourselves with food right um, if we 're feeding ourselves emotionally if we 're emotional eaters, we will be emotional feeders, which you know if you've ever struggled with how you feel about yourself as an eater mm-hmm. you know you want better for the children in your life no matter if they're your kids or they're your nanny kids we really want better for them than the hang-ups that we have about food in our bodies right and we can do that but it often takes it i mean i want to say it always takes addressing those things for ourselves. Which, you know, I'm my own personal desire for health and fitness, you know, I'm not only a parent coach, but I'm also a health coach. I don't, you know, I use my health coaching experience to guide what I do with food for families. But it's not, you know, parent coaching is my focus rather than helping helping parents get fit is obviously (laughs) not fit, but healthy is a is an important thing to do. Because again, the way that we eat is the way that we feed. It's the way that our children, the children in our care will end up eating. But if we're not feeding ourselves adventurously, we're probably not going to be adventurous feeders. And that is the only way that children become adventurous eaters. Because there's a saying of your children won't eat what you don't feed them. And that's a double-edged thing where, yeah, they won't eat. Maybe they won't eat as many cookies, though I mean eventually they will because they're going to be around their peers right, but if you don't serve those things regularly in infancy, childhood, and childhood, they're not going to have the emotional connection to home with you know, "Oh, you feel poorly today or you're sad, so I'm going to give you a cookie to help you feel better. We want to try to avoid that as much as possible. You can share a, an experience with a child over a banana. When they're young, the the time with you, the things that you say in those moments to them are the things that emotionally heal them. We don't want those things to be food, right? Right, right. And if we're feeding ourselves that way, it becomes very challenging to not feed our children that way. And we ultimately want better for them. We want them to be healthier people than the struggles that we have.
1: Yeah, a quick... um switch that I have encouraged parents to make is if parents are, you know, somebody falls down and is upset and they have a habit of being like, why don't we get a treat to help right. you feel better? Things like that. I actually tell parents, you know, what actually scientifically is much better in those moments is getting a glass of ice water because yes. that actually calms your brain down. Like, that's a right. great thing to do. And so I'm like, if we have that connection of I'm feeling upset and I want I want to ingest something to help me feel better, a glass of ice water is actually going to help you get there, whereas, you know, chocolate is not, as much as we wish that the Harry Potter chocolate frogs did.
0: <laughs> <work>. um, <laughs> a glass of ice water is better, you know? Yeah. That's, and that's fantastic advice. That is fantastic advice because the, you know, the carnival that added sugar adds to your brain, especially, you know, the younger that you are, you, the emotional response that you're going to have with that and the emotional memory that you will make with that is, is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to forward think for those children That when life gets hard later on, what are they going to be doing to soothe themselves from life being hard, right? Our job is never to make life not hard. And this is a thing I find with, this is a struggle and a challenge for many parents is, you know, life can be, life will be hard. You cannot stop life from being hard for your kids. You have to allow them. Brilliant in hard things, and we medicate, which is, you know, essentially what you're doing with a cookie, if you're trying to help someone feel better with something sweet, that is literally medicating them, because yeah, you're creating an endorphin rush in their brain. You know, that's what added sugar can do for us. And we want to try to avoid that as much as possible, because those will be the ways that our children medicate themselves from life when they're older.
1: Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. I did have a question for you about when when we were talking about consent and food, um, I have heard, and I would love to know your expert <laughs> opinion about this, is um, I've heard that it's it's really not good to try to sneak in veggies.
0: Right. So as much as possible, and again, the earlier we start this process, the better. Because if, right. you're, if you're helping, if you're letting a 14-month-old put spinach in a smoothie, they right. know it's in there, right? right? And if you allow them to do that every day and they're three and four and five, they just know that spinach goes in smoothies. right? If they see you do it and they don't know that you've been doing it, now you are essentially tricking them, right? Mm-hmm. And Trust is such an important, it is such an important part of raising children. Whether you are a parent or a caregiver, trust between you and the little people in your life is, you know, that trusting relationship, it is the basis for their attachment. How safe they feel in the world is how much they can trust you in the world right? Like we are their rudders for so much of their early life. We're like completely guiding them along this path and they need to be able to trust us. And you shouldn't have to sneak veggies into food. Your toddler, your pre-toddler, again, around 12 and 14 months, they will go through some food skepticism, there's a, there's a theory called the omnivore's dilemma, which makes, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, the theory is back when we were tribal and hunter, hunting and gathering, you know, a 14-month-old would probably have a sibling and, you know, maybe have a and they'd probably be beginning to forage for themselves. And green plants are the most toxic plants to humans in all of biology, you know, green plants are the things that can kill us. So during their first, you know, during the time when mom was carrying them around and feeding their infant from the foods that were safe, baby is learning about the types of foods that are safe. However, it makes sense evolutionarily that at the point that they start to forage for themselves, they're a little bit skeptical about the food that they're consuming because it might kill you. Right. right, like when you're foraging in plant in the plant world, the things that you decide to eat, yes, omnivores, we can eat everything. However, there's a catch: the things that we eat can kill us. Right, right. So, like, I have never worked with a toddler. I've never raised an infant from this very specific way that I feed, who has not gone through the skepticism, but who has also not gotten through it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So. They go through a period of like, no, I'm not going to eat that. Well, you loved broccoli yesterday. Right. Well, I'm not going to eat that. Okay. okay, You don't have to eat it. Yeah. And chances are when I look away and I say, okay, you, you don't have to eat that. When I look away, guess what they do? Uh, I'm going to eat that. Right. Right. Like it just, they want to make sure that I don't have an agenda. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that evolutionary thing is, like why toddlers are so concerned that you might be trying to poison them.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Cause they are they obviously are, yeah. it's like, you want me to eat this? I'm not going to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: cool. You don't have to, I don't care if you eat it. You don't have to eat that and they get through it, but we have to keep offering, right? We have to, we have to keep doing that thing. But the more honest, the more honesty that you can have with your child ever is, is, the best thing because if they think that you're sneaky you know maybe they maybe they won't trust you so much and the most important thing that you can do with your child is to always be the place that they can come to and tell you things you know and that this is again this relationship over meal times this is where a lot of these conversations happen in time is over meal times if your children trust you right if you've empowered them at the table then they can, they can look at you and say, this person doesn't force me to do things. This person listens. This person respects my boundaries. And that may seem like a lot of power to give to a child, but they deserve it and they need that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've also heard that it takes about 11 exposures within one 11,
0: month. 11, 15, 30, yeah. like – And exposures don't mean just what you think they do. Probably. The exposure isn't just seeing it. It means tasting it. Oh, right. That's an exposure. They've actually correct. Mm. So that means how many times you have to offer it before they actually put it in their mouth. Yeah. A bunch. Could be lots more than that. Right. Just keep offering. Yeah. Keep offering. Cause I, I have seen
1: parents and nannies and all caregivers like give up on foods after like three or four times. And I'm like, there's no After way. After the first
0: face. Yeah. Right. After the first time that you give broccoli or some bitter veggie and your baby makes that one face. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, I'm never giving I hate. They hate that. And they're never giving that again. No, keep giving it to them. Yeah. Keep, keep offering it Yeah, because we learn to like things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. Can you think of a time from your childhood, something that you tried that like I remember really disliking bell peppers
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I love bell peppers now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know when that switch happened, but you know, I, I was fed in a way that my mom made dinner and I was thankful that, you know, at this point in my life, I'm thankful that she made dinner every night she was a career mom, but she made dinner every night, wow, yeah. but it was never what I wanted. Right. It wasn't like, right. It wasn't like I had a say in what happened at dinner. This is just what dinner was. And I eventually learned to eat things like beef livers and, you know, onions and bell peppers and all kinds of things because that was what was for dinner.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That journey was onions for me. I really yeah, didn't right. like them <laughs> as a child and I love them now. <laughs> like,
0: well, And that's a thing to remember too, like strong tasting foods. Your infants, toddlers, and children have so many more taste buds than we do. Mm-hmm so that there are probably a lot of foods that taste incredibly different to young people than they do for us
1: right
0: but that doesn't mean we stop offering we you know when we stop offering a food to a child and especially when we offer something else that might be more palatable we're essentially telling them that we don't believe that they can learn to like new foods yeah. when we say I'll just get the cereal or if you keep that on the table or if you make a peanut butter sandwich instead or you're telling your children, again, parents, caregivers, you're telling them that they don't have the skills to learn to like new things. Right. And they do. They just do. Like this, They absolutely can learn to love a wide variety of foods. And this includes spices. Mm-hmm. If we have to give our babies spices, like the baby food does not need to be bland. I know plenty of babies who even enjoy heat. And this is generally offered in different cultures. So, you know, people with a different cultural background where heat is a larger part of the cultural food end up giving infants, you know, spicier spices, you know, heat earlier. But there's no, there's no, um, you know, there's no biological difference between infants who accept spices and those who don't. It's just how we end up feeding them.
1: Right, right. That makes complete sense. Oh, I love all of that. That is all <laughs> it's so helpful. Um, and I I really appreciate you kind of laying that all out because I do think that it can feel overwhelming. It's like oh, I have to do this five times, you know, five plus right. a day for the next right. 18 years. Like this is, it can be, it can feel really overwhelming.
0: Um, and and so, what you spoke to earlier of saying, you know, just how we're kind of lauded for, oh, I was so busy. I couldn't feed myself. You know, I think a lot of people have lost the habit of health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, to me, health is a habit. And, you know, I am not I've mentioned sugar before. I am not uh, the sugar police. I think that children should have sugar, you know, that older children should absolutely not have forbidden foods. There shouldn't be foods that were like, no, you can't have those. Right. We should restrict foods for children under two. We should absolutely restrict things like added fat. I'm sorry, a saturated fat, added sugar. Um, but just this health as a habit, you know, I have seen some programs for very young people that include very complicated meal plans Mm. and you just don't need that. You don't like even to feed yourself, you don't need complicated meal plans, feeding yourself in healthy ways and creating this health is a habit habit can be so simple where, you know, I hear from parents and caregivers all the time, like, oh my goodness, cooking every day is the worst. I can't bring myself to do it. And so we eat very, you know, we eat convenience foods more frequently because I can't cook every day. Well, for an infant, can you cook once in a month? Mm -hmm. For your family, I know I'm, I was a nanny who cooked for my families because I took that responsibility on like, right. I just like, that was just something that I did. This is how I got here. Right. Like it's I right. became the cooking nanny, but doing that. And also, so I have kind of a side story, you know, my health coaching for a little while, I was competitively bodybuilding mm-hmm. and, you know, I was prepping food during times when i had to build muscle you know i would get up at four o'clock in the morning and go to the gym and try to build muscle and so i would have to feed myself in a very specific way so feeding myself and feeding my nanny family you know i had to come up with some very specific strategies to make this type of feed because being an, you know, I'm also an incredibly active nanny, where right. kids are outside, we're doing stuff. So I'm not in the kitchen all of the time. So making this healthy habit as simplified as possible, you know, I think that is very important for today's parents and caregivers, because busy is a thing. You know, we're all busy. We're all so busy mm-hmm. with life and with everything.
1: Yes. 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 and I have, you know, like Sunday now is like my meal prep day and it's really yes. changed my whole life. Um, yes.
0: Uh, right to just prep. but I bet it's probably more simple than you. Oh,
1: so much more like, simple yeah. and enjoyable. Like I yes. this past weekend, I listened to uh, an entire audiobook over the course of the weekend, which I haven't like, downed an audiobook like that in a while and most of yeah. it i did like while i was meal prepping and it was just so enjoyable it was like such a good way to fill my cup for the week
0: and, that, and that's something that we do you know whether you're you know whether you're cooking for yourself you know or cooking for your nanny family or cooking for yourself if you're cooking with children like again starting early how wonderful a tradition is it for you to be able to give to the child in your life this. Yeah. And then, you know, I remember we spent time in the kitchen and we talked over making food and I helped. And there's a, there's a lot of uh, push to keep kids out of the kitchen because it's just, you know, some parents and caregivers just need the time in the kitchen alone to kind of veg out and if you need that time awesome but letting your family know that this is important is one of the greatest gifts that you can give the children in your life because they will grow up and end up feeding themselves the way that you fed them and feeding their families the way that you fed them so having a day like Sunday where families cook together You know, as a nanny, I wasn't able to do that on Sundays. Obviously, I wasn't there on Sundays. Mm -hmm. But having that be, as children got older, having that be something that they were a part of was, you know, again, it's a gift. Helping Mm -hmm. them understand that what happens in the kitchen is nourishing. It's important. It's a time for bonding. It's a time where we learn about food. It's a time where we learn about our bodies. You know, maybe people listening right now just don't have the skills in the kitchen or don't have the knowledge about food or nutrition. And if those are the only pieces that you're missing, please reach out because that's something that I focus on a lot is how do we do these things? You know, again, what do we feed? How do we make it? How do we feed it? And why we feed this way are my pillars of helping people do this well.
1: Yeah. so how should they reach out to you? How can they find out more and, and get in touch with you?
0: Well, you can always reach out to me um, either at my email address at Angelina at adventurous eating or you can go to uh, adventurous eating.com and um, if you go to adventurouseating.com right now there is a wonderful little, a piece of content that I've put together that is called the three best playtime activities to help your baby get ready for solid foods. Mm. So it, how, you know, how, how are playtime and feeding related, right? So if you go there now, you can just give me your email address and um, I will be in contact with you that way. You will get that uh, piece of content for free, but uh, yeah, through, either through my email address or just at uh, adventurouseating.com, You can also find me on Facebook, obviously on Instagram, adventurous eating. I do run a group, a private Facebook group for moms and caregivers called adventurous eating. And in that group every week I do a live class and we focus on some different part of feeding, whether it is again, what to feed, how to make it, how to feed it and why we feed this way. I focus a lot on the feeding relationship. So every week you'll learn a little bit more about how to feed your baby. And I'm very responsive in all of those different avenues. So if you have questions, please reach out. I love, I love helping um, guide parents and caregivers to connect with their big vision that they have for feeding their families so that they can do this well, because it's, you know, it is not as hard as we all think that it is. It is, um, you know, if I could do that while working 12 hour days in a family and still living my life outside of that, you know, there are so many nannies who do this well. There's so many families that do this well. And it's often just understanding a few simple things that can help get your entire family's health on the track that you want it so that when you forward think to where you want your children to be. You know, there's, a, there's an important point I'd like to make about, you know, the way that we feed and it's something that's, that's usually very surprising. I, I tell the story, I ask, I ask, um, I ask people to think about these two hypothetical children. And the first one is named Sammy. And the second one is named Lila and Sammy eats really healthy, super clean food every day. And Lila eats mostly convenience foods every day. And when I ask parents and caregivers, you know, who do you think has the greater probability of positive long-term outcomes? And you know, without a doubt, you know, without fail, People say Sammy, right? Like he's eating the things that we think children should be eating. But if we, if we step back and look a little bit, you know, at the bigger picture of how these two children are eating, you know, Sammy does eat predominantly clean, healthy food because that's what he's offered every day. But when he sits down for mealtimes, he's criticized, almost at every meal for not eating enough of X or eating too much of Y. And, you know, every meal for him is kind of a disaster because he's being told he's got to take at least three bites. And if he ever sees dessert, he has to finish all of that food that he doesn't like, right? Like he's got to eat all of, the green thing on his plate that he just doesn't like. And if he, so if he wants dessert, he's got to eat that. And, you know, long-term that is, that is a really hard thing for a kid to grow up with because his sense of self at the table, you know, he's not validated at that meal at any meal, right? Like he's, he's criticized for it. And then, you know, on the other hand, we have Lila, who, yeah, she eats a lot of processed food, but you know, she even does that in the backseat of her car when her and her mom go through the drive-thru. But the thing that's different is that, you know, Lila's mom gets out of the driver's seat and sits in the backseat with her, and they share a meal together. And Lila's not criticized for what she eats. In fact, her and her mom talk about their day. You know, her mom talks about what her day was like. Lila talks about what school was like. And, you know, they talk about the smell of the food and the way that it tastes and they enjoy each other's time together. And statistically, studies have shown that the kid who has the greater probability of positive long-term outcomes is Lila, Mm. even though she ate not the best food for most of her childhood. But she was validated at meals where she, you know, she felt like she understood who she was in terms of her relationship with her mother. And, you know, they talked about family stories instead of what she was eating or what she wasn't eating. And, you know, long term, that is the thing that really matters. So this feeding relationship that we have. Yes, it's important that we feed, especially our youngest children, good healthy foods. And doing it early, again, preloading this adventurous eating style, this adventurous eating feeding style, you know, you make your life so much easier the earlier that you start. And you can have a kid who at three years old is voraciously eating things like broccoli and salmon and sushi. Like you can have a kid who does that. Right. It's the work that we do early with them that really matters there. But- the way that we feed is so critically important to help our children grow up well and to be, you know, there there's a greater correlation between healthy meal times, meaning this relationship that we have with our kids at the table, there's a greater correlation for positive outcomes than there is even having the resources to eat healthy food. So it's it's a it's dramatically important thing that we do for children. And again, one of the most important ways that we can parent our kids is every time that we feed them.
1: Yes. Yes. And I really do encourage you to reach out to Angelina. She is just delightful and a, like a good listener. And you come away from talking with her feeling better about yourself. So um, reach out. And, I
0: appreciate that so much. Well, it's
1: also very true. Um well, wonderful. All of um, the contact information for Angelina is also down in the show notes. So if you were driving or doing dishes or cooking, um, cooking, yes. <laughs> yeah, you, don't, you don't have to worry. It's down there for you. So you can just click on it. You don't need to write it down. Um, wonderful. Well, we end each episode with a cute, fun story. And Angelina has brought one that is on topic. <laughs>
0: Yes, wonderful. Well, I, I think we talked about one beforehand, but I'm, I think I'm going to tell a different one. Um, oh, wonderful. Well, I <laughs> have yeah, a couple. Um, well, I guess I'll tell the original story that I was going to tell. The, this family of twins were, um, you know, and fed in this very specific way. Uh, I brought them to a birthday party, you know, a nanny birthday party for one of our little nanny friends. And the little girl who was, again, about two years old, uh, saw that the other kids were just, you know, really going to town on some goldfish crackers. Mm-hmm. And you know, she had been raised with this uh, way of eating where she'd eaten a lot of really clean food. She's eating, you know, she hadn't seen added sugar up until that point. She really didn't, she had never seen at that point. Um, so she, you know, she asked me, she was like, can I have some of these. And I was like, yeah, of course. And so she grabbed some and she threw them in her mouth and started to chew. And her eyes got really big and she stopped chewing. And she looked at me and she opened her mouth and started, you know, scraping her tongue. And she started scraping the goldfish off of her tongue. And she just looked at me and she said, I don't like it. I don't like it. Which, you know, like, This is one of the benefits of feeding kids in this way is that, you know, we think that we're going to have to say no a lot when they're begging us for the kinds of foods that maybe you don't want them to eat so much of. But if you can do this early, starting with your baby's first bites, you're not going to have to do that because chances are they're not going to develop a pellet for those types of foods if they don't experience them before too. So the longer we can keep them away from processed foods, the easier it will be long-term for you to keep them away from them. And it's just just a wonderful thing to not have to stress so much when your kid's literally trying to scrape goldfish crackers off their (laughs) cup.
1: Yes. That's such a funny image, too, of just like, oh, no, no, thank you. (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it. It was so, so funny. That is. That's very funny. Do you want to also
0: tell the other story? I don't mind having sure. it. Sure. So her brother, her uh-huh. brother, um, he went from being the baby who really loved broccoli to going through this, you know, pre-toddler stage of food skepticism, where he went from like he loved broccoli as a baby. He goes through this period of skepticism, and then he, for about six months, just decides he's not going to eat broccoli. And you know, I keep offering it because his sister still likes it, and at that time. I'm in training for a competition and so I'm eating lots of broccoli, like lots of chicken and lots of broccoli. And I swear I'm traumatized by the chicken and broccoli thing because I <laughs> ate it like so many meals during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there was just, you know, after about six months of him, not, like never eating any of his own broccoli, he, you know, I'm getting ready to eat my own and I see this finger like, oh, I see this little finger point in front of me and I hear, try. And <laughs> and I'm like, I look down and I ask him if he wants some of my chicken. And he, you know, points to the broccoli and he says even more emphatically, he's like, try. And I'm like, do you want some of my broccoli? And again, try. So like, I hold my plate up for him and I let him pick. And not only does he, like, he picks the biggest piece on my plate. <laughs> and then I think like, he's just, he's just being, you know, toddler. He's like, I'm not, I'm just going to take it and throw it or whatever, but not not only did he take it, but he ate it and ate it. Like I hadn't fed him ever. And from that point went on to continue to eat broccoli. Like he, it was his jam. So this show been brought to you by machine. You never know when they're going to surprise you and just one day decide, yeah, I like that again. You know what? six months of never touching his broccoli. And all of a sudden he was like, yeah, give me some of that. And he took mine and ate it. And I never got to have my own broccoli anymore.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, that is a potential downside, but now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, uh, that's so wonderful. I love that. I love that so much. Um, Well, thank you so much, Angelina. This was lovely.
0: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. I appreciate this podcast. So much. I love it. I'm a huge fan. I recommend it to everyone that I know, not just nannies, but also all the mamas in my network. Um, mm-hmm. You always have such wonderful information and some great strategies for helping us get through the days well and in one piece. Oh,
1: well, thank you. I really You're appreciate welcome. that. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. I love providing Chronicles of Nannia to you at no cost. So if you love this podcast, please consider donating by clicking the support the show link in the show notes. I also totally understand if a donation isn't the way you can show your support right now. Another excellent way to support the podcast is to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings help other nannies and caregivers around the world find Chronicles of Nannia. Also, if you love the show, tell your friends. Word of mouth is so helpful to get the word out about the podcast. And truly, thank you for listening. It really means the world to me. The Chronicles of Nannia is produced and hosted by Martha Tyler. Artwork by Noni Blastodon. Theme music by Brad Kemp. Find him at secondbedroomstudios.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronicles of Nania and on Twitter at Nania Podcast. To contact us, email nania at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.
0: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real
1: when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee